um, let's stand together for the reading of the word. We're gonna read from our key text, which is found in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Let's pray. Papa God, we just thank you that you are here. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We're so grateful, Jesus, for what you did for us, for all the ways that you bless us, and for the gift that you've given us in the Holy Spirit. We just ask that you would have your way this morning. Amen. So today, um, we're continuing our sermon series, The Four Squares, with the square that's represented by a dove, Jesus, the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit. So has anybody here ever envied the disciples because they got to actually spend time with Jesus when he lived on earth as a man? Yeah, (laughs) me too. So um, have you ever thought about what would it be like to sit at his feet when he spoke in someone's house, to join in with those who were gathered on the hillside to hear him preach the Sermon on the Mount? or just to sit down and eat a meal with him. What a privilege. Um, I can picture him enfolding the little children in his arms as he blessed them, and I can't help but think that it would have been so amazing to have actually been there to see him, to interact with him, to look into his eyes and hear him laugh. To see him as a living, breathing human being seems like it would be the most amazing thing, doesn't it? In fact, it's kind of hard to imagine anything better. So I'm sure the disciples felt the same way. They got to experience what we can only imagine. Jesus present with them every day in the flesh. So it must have been incredibly difficult for them when he told them he was gonna leave them. Let's set the scene for that conversation. The book of John tells us that Jesus had been celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He'd washed their feet and told them that he was going to leave them. He's preparing them for life without him, living in the flesh among him. Can, just kind of put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They've been walking and talking and doing life with Jesus for several years. They left behind previous responsibilities to follow leaving them. To make it worse, they don't even know where he's going. Then Jesus makes this amazing statement. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I don't know exactly what the disciples were thinking when they heard Jesus say that, but I suspect they weren't very happy about it. After all, they valued Jesus. So much so they'd been willing to drop everything and follow him around for years. Now you don't do that unless you really love someone, do you? Um, so I have no doubt that they love him. And I, I also don't doubt that there was a lot that they said in response to him saying he was leaving that's not included in the scriptural account. It would be kind of interesting to hear what that was. But Jesus knew his plan and he was really clear about it. He knew exactly what his mission was and what was coming next. And he knew that he had come to not only be our savior and Lord, but also to be other things, including our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. This was something that was foretold by John the Baptist before Jesus even began his public ministry. Luke 3, 16 says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when I read those words, I doubt that the people who hear them really understood what that meant. I wonder what they made of the idea of a baptism of fire. It kind of sounds painful, doesn't it? It's no wonder they didn't think it was such a good idea to trade the daily physical presence of Jesus for a Holy Spirit they didn't know and an immersion in fire. But here's the thing about God, he always trades up. He asks us to give him things and then he replaces them with something that is immeasurably better for us than what we gave up. Truth for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, strength for weakness, light for darkness, life for death truth for lies. He's good like that. 
So if Jesus considered it better for his followers that he leave and the Holy Spirit came, there's no doubt that it was. And Jesus did consider it better. Later, after his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and instructed them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come clothe them in power. Let's read exactly what happened when they stayed in the city. This is from the second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are all not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Kurene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said they were full of sweet wine. That's what Bob was talking about earlier. I'll just imagine that. That must have been quite the experience. Loud wind and tongues of fire resting on people. I've had some interesting spiritual experiences. I have to tell you, they aren't always comfortable. Anybody else ever been there? <laughs> Sometimes when we encounter the Holy Spirit, our body starts to actually shake. Um, sometimes rather violently. Other times we might actually feel heat. And that's not always comfortable either. It's not surprising to me that when human beings encounter the tangible presence of God, that our bodies react. That seems to me to make sense. Um, people sometimes doubt the validity of such experiences, but we can judge the validity of our experiences with God the same way we can judge the validity of that of the early church, by the fruit that's produced. And boy, did they produce fruit. Luke, who was the writer of the book of Acts, continues on to tell us about Peter preaching the first evangelical sermon of the early church, which ended up with about 3,000 people coming to the Lord and being baptized. Now that's some good fruit. This, that's the same Peter who ran, who denied Jesus, who after Jesus died went back to fishing and yet when the Holy Spirit came on him, he was entirely transformed and was willing to preach in a place where he knew the same people who put Jesus to death were going to be and could hear what he was saying. Huge change from fear to courage. Later in Acts, we find about, more about the impact of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the early church we discovered that the disciples suddenly began operating in signs and wonders, bringing miraculous healings to many and had a new boldness to share the good news of Jesus in spite of persecution and even eventual martyrdom. We see the early church having a huge hunger for prayer and the study of the word, living together in unity, caring for the poor, operating in spiritual gifts and having favor with people. And in Acts 2.47, we read this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were saved. These things all demonstrate part of the fruit that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The power that Jesus speaks of when he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. They show us why Jesus' role as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit is so vital both then and today. I can't even imagine what it would be like to not have the Holy Spirit. He's just as important to me personally as Papa God or Jesus, both for who he is and for what he does. He's a real person, 
um, just as real to me as Jesus was to the disciples who walked alongside him. Now that wasn't always the case. Many of you um, heard last time I preached about how I got saved at the age of nine at a pajama party. And I just went to whatever church I could go to, wherever I could get a ride. And um, the churches that I went to didn't really teach about the Holy Spirit. My understanding of what they believed was that he was just kind of part of the package. He was there, but he was kind of silent and they believed that um, he wasn't doing much of anything. <laughs> That's kind of sad, but it's true. And so mostly when I was younger, my relationship with God was focused on Jesus. I understood Jesus, I could read about what he did and his love was hugely impactful to me. But I found that as I tried to walk with God in a way that would please him, that I had a problem. Um, I would read my Bible, I would pray, I tried to do the things the word showed me, but I still struggled with sin and I was really confused by the difference in what I saw in my own life and the lives of the believers around me and what I saw in the Bible in the early church. And I didn't understand, like, where were the miracles? Where was the power to live a godly life? Why did the church that I went to and the people there not look much different than the people outside of the church? And also, there were just these weird things that kept happening to me. Um, I would have dreams of things before they happened. I saw things other people didn't see. <laughs> Sometimes, like, I would know... Um, what somebody was gonna say right before it came out of their mouth. And that was very confusing. And so I asked questions about it, but they didn't have a grid for it. And so the understanding of the people around me was either that it was a coincidence, but you know, like sometimes it takes more faith to believe something's a coincidence than to believe it's not. And then the other was that it was demonic which was really scary, right? <laughs> I didn't wanna do something that was demonic. So I started to think there was something really wrong with me. What I didn't know at the time was that the Holy Spirit was the answer to every one of the questions that I was asking. And so I kept asking them so much so that I actually went to a Baptist Bible college, kind of hoping in part for answers. But all I got was more of the same. Um, and that's nothing against Baptists, that was just my experience. But God always has a plan, and he had a plan for me to understand. I moved to Germany, and I lived in a small village where my family were the only Americans. I spoke a little German, but back then I was super shy, and I was really lonely. Um, I missed being on campus and having lunch with my friends every day. And then the thought came to me one day, and I thought it was my thought, I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit speaking, that I should have lunch with Jesus every day. And so that's what I started doing. Every day at lunch, I put my toddler down to bed for his nap, and I would sit down and I would set two place settings, and I would sit down and I would have lunch with Jesus. And it was amazing because all of a sudden, things got better. <laughs> you know, when I read the Bible, it felt like it was like it was a living book and answers would pop out for me and I would see things that I'd never noticed before. It came, became so much easier to do what was right. Not that I always did, but it was easier, right? Um, and when I messed up, instead of feeling shame and condemnation, I had this voice in my head that was explaining to me what was going on inside of me. The voice helped me see when I was people-pleasing or when I was afraid because I wasn't trusting God. And it encouraged me to focus on pleasing God and trusting Him. It also helped me find friends in our large church by pointing out to me people who were lonely and going, Won't you, why don't you go over there and help that person? Go talk to them. And got me outside of my comfort zone. And I started realizing that God was talking to me through the dreams that I had, and he was the one that was letting me see things that were going to happen ahead of time. The confusion that I had experienced for years, because this time I was an adult, and I was nine when I was saved, went away. And I wanted even more of God. So I started getting up really, really early in the morning, um, and just having a quiet time before my kids were awake. And one morning I started reading the same account we read earlier about the coming of the Holy Spirit to the early believers. And I had been taught that this was not something, tongues were not something that happened today. Um, and that 
they were actually evidence of people being influenced by demons. Well, I didn't want to be influenced by demons, right? But at the same time, it was in the Bible. And so I asked the Lord, if this is from you, could you give me this? But I also want to know it's from you. And so could you like be really nice and not just give it to me, but give it to me in a way will somehow speak to another person just like it did in the New Testament in that early account. So one day, a few days later, I'm praying during my quiet time out loud and all of a sudden words came out of my mouth that didn't make any sense to me. And so I just said, okay, God, I'm kind of interested to see what you're going to do um, because I also asked that it would help somebody. Well, at the time, like I said, I was living in Germany and I went to a church that had people from lots of different countries. And so we had military translators who actually translated our service for these people who spoke other languages there. And one day this older lady came into the church and she was speaking another language and people are trying to get her to different translators, trying to figure out what she's saying because nobody knows what language it is. And we couldn't find anybody. And she happened to walk over to me and I started to say, I'm so sorry, but instead these other words came out of my mouth. And she throws herself down on her knees in front of me, raises her hands like she's praising God, and then just kind, kind of gives me a hug and runs out of the church. <laughs> and somebody turned to me and they're just like, what did you say? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. But I, knew, I had the sense that God had told her where to find somebody she was looking for. Um, so God is so kind. He knew all the lies that I had been told. And he was so kind that in the midst, he did exactly what I asked. He gave me a gift of speaking in tongues and he allowed, he confirmed that it was from him. And at the same time, he blessed this woman whose name I don't know, but I'm kind of looking forward to meeting her again. <laughs> um, another thing that he has done for me um, through it is, it's not just about what he does and his power, it's about who he is. Lots of times we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how he comes in power, and he does. And, and that's amazing. But the greatest gift that Holy Spirit brings is just his own presence. Because you will never have a friend who is as kind and, and unfailingly loving as Holy Spirit. Um, he is always looking out for our best interest. He's the constant companion. He comforts us when, he's, when we're sad. He encourages us when we're down. He always tells us the exact truth we need to hear in every situation. He shows love for us in so many ways. Like, I hate to shop. Anybody else here hate to shop? I can't stand shopping. And one of the things the Holy Spirit has done for me for a really long time is... When I have to go shopping, he will tell me things that I'm going to need before I have a reason to need them so I won't have to go back again. <laughs> that might sound like a little thing, but if you hate to shop like I do, it's not a little thing. Also, sometimes I'll be looking for something weird and I don't know where to find it, and he'll tell me what store to go to so I don't have to drive around to a bunch of places and go looking. And remember, I'm old, I'm almost 60, so <laughs> a good portion of my time with the Lord, we didn't have the internet to go look things up on, sorry, didn't mean to call people old who are 60. <laughs> but I mean, so like for my lifetime, a lot of it, I couldn't just go online and look something up and he would show me exactly where I needed to go. Another thing that he's done regularly for me is kind of to prepare me for changes he knows that I'm gonna find difficult. Um, an example for this was I had, when I was going through a really hard time some years back, I was processing some abuse I went through as a child. And I had a really good friend who also happened to be a counselor. And she was just a huge support for me in the midst of that. And one day during my quiet time, Holy Spirit said to me, I have something, I have another assignment for her. Are, are you willing to give her up? and trust that I'll be the one who will take care of you. I'll be your counselor. I'll be your support in the midst of it. 
And just hearing what he said because of everything that was going on, I just couldn't even fathom going through that without her. And I just started crying, <laughs> you know. But it gave me time to be ready. And by the time she told me that she had been called to the mission field and had already made arrangements and was going to be leaving, I was able to just bless her on her way, and which made her going easier. And the Holy Spirit did exactly what he said he would do for me. He was my counselor. He was the one who comforted me in the midst of all of that. And now he helps me when I counsel other people. And he's so amazing at it. I had a client who said to me not long ago, she said, I think everybody should come to you for counseling. And I thought, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> you might not be in a place where you're ready to hear that yet. It's not me that's the great counselor. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, he also knows everything and he is an amazing teacher. Has anybody ever been in a situation where you needed to know something that you figure out how to do something and you couldn't and he does it for you? So <laughs> I was going to college. I went back to college as an adult and I had to take college algebra. And it had been a lot of years since I'd done algebra and math is not my thing anyway. At the time, I was single, I was working full-time, I was going to school full-time, and I had teenagers. And so I was really tired. <laughs> and one morning, I'm up about three o'clock trying to get my algebra assignment done, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And the way it was explaining in the book wasn't making any sense at all, and I just said, Holy Spirit, help. And all of a sudden, I had this idea of a new way to do, of a different way to do these algebra problems. So the book had like every other answer in the back, so you could check to see if you were doing things right. So I did it the way Holy Spirit told me, and then I checked, and it was right. And so I just did the whole rest of the assignment that way and went to bed. And the next day, I got to class, and the professor had me come up and do my assignment on the board. And so I did a problem on the board. He was, got really excited and he ran over to the board and he says, does that always work? And I was like, I think so. He said, you didn't do it the way it's in the book. And I said, no, I couldn't figure it out the way it was in the book. <laughs> so he got up and he started doing all the math problems the way the Holy Spirit had taught me on the board. And he got more and more excited. And at the end of class, he, invited, he asked me to stay and suggested I change my major to math because I had invented a new way <laughs> of doing these equations that was so much better. <laughs> and I just laughed because, you know, it wasn't me. I wish I could say that I had given him a great testimony at the time. I didn't even think of it. <laughs> I just was so relieved that they were right and just got out of class. <laughs> but, you know, he has done that for me time and again whether it is yesterday I was trying to, or earlier this week, I was trying to put together the bulletin and I couldn't get something figured out on it. And I was like, Holy Spirit, help. And he showed me a button that I didn't know existed. <laughs> so I could fix something that I didn't know how to fix. Sometimes he even gives me answers for others to problems they haven't had yet. And because he's just that good. One night I had a dream and in the dream, I was a teenage girl and I was so angry with my mother that I was going to run away. And I needed to hear my mom say something very specific before I was willing to go home. But the next morning I woke up and I thought, well, that was a weird dream. But I get a phone call like within 10 minutes from a friend who has a teenage daughter. And the night before, a friend of her daughter's had shown up at their house because she had run away from home <laughs> and they couldn't get her to go back. <laughs> and so I thought, well, maybe. So I said, to, I told my friend about my dream and I said, this is what I needed to hear my mom say. Maybe if her mom says that, she'll come home. And the girl's mom wasn't a believer, but she, she was desperate. And so my friend passed on that information. She came over to my friend's house, told her daughter exactly what I needed to hear in the dream, and the girl immediately went home. <laughs> that is so cool, isn't it? That Holy Spirit does things like that for us. Um, that he gives us answers to problems that that poor woman, <laughs> I mean, she had to have been desperate. I would have been if it had been my child. And he gave her that answer. Life with Holy Spirit is such an adventure. 
as he counsels us, he comforts us, he teaches us, he guides us, and he empowers us on a daily basis. So what exactly does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Um, I personally don't think it's a one and done kind of experience. The word that's translated as baptized in Acts 1.8 is the Greek word baptizo. It is, means to be dipped repeatedly, immersed or submerged. It's the same word that was used by the Greek poet and physician Nicander in about 200 BC in a recipe that he wrote down for making pickles. He said that the cucumber had to be baptismoed, sub, submerged in a vinegar solution in order to bring about the permanent change from a cucumber to a pickle. In other words, the cucumber has to sit and soak, immersed, immersed in the new atmosphere of the vinegar. It's also the word that's used for a ship that has sunk. You know, a ship that's sunk isn't just like up and down. <laughs> it stays there for a while. It's less about a quick dip in the water than it is about staying there. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in the body of Christ over the years about whether the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something we receive at salvation, whether it's a second experience at some later time in our walk with God, or something that can happen over and over again. I believe that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we also receive Holy Spirit. And that's why John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would be the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and fire. However, I also believe that as we choose to soak in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he becomes more manifest in our lives and we're transformed just as the early church was. In Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul tells us, and do not get drunk with wine for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't claim to be a Greek scholar, but from what I've read, the word that's translated here as be filled is the present passive tense and actually means continue to keep being filled. It is also in the imperative mood, so it's, less a, it's more of a command than it is a suggestion. We experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit not only when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we receive a prayer language or have some kind of amazing experience with God, we're baptized in the Spirit whenever we are consciously aware of His presence, whenever we choose to soak in His presence. The early church devoted themselves to prayer, worship, and the study of the Word. They waited for Holy Spirit to come, and He did. Anytime we focus our hearts on the presence of God, expecting to encounter Him, the Holy Spirit responds by filling us. That means that every moment of every day is an opportunity for us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, each of us has our own unique relationship with God, and what it looks like is different for each, each one of us. For me, it's a lot like spending time with my husband. There are times we're actively talking to each other. There are times when we're just silently enjoying each other's company. At any time, one of us might make a comment, ask a question, or give the other person a hug. We have an easy relationship. We're both people who work hard, but our marriage isn't hard. We enjoy being, uh, being together, so we also take time away from our normal routine to spend a weekend or sometimes a week alone. And that's how my relationship with Holy Spirit is as well. There's never really a time that I'm not aware of his presence with me. I frequently ask his opinion and for his help, and whenever I'm upset or confused, he's the first one I go to. And when I do, I take time to just soak in his presence. I found that as I make that a habit, God actually will clear my schedule to give me extra time with him when I need it. I regularly ask him to fill me to overflowing so I don't have just enough for myself, but I have enough to minister to others. And I deliberately choose to uh, build chunks into my schedule just for soaking alone with him. I take, also just take a camping trip every year for about 10 days just to spend time alone with him. Um, I love being in nature and camping provides me with a really good respite from all the electronic devices. And even though I do those things on a pretty regular basis, I still find sometimes that I can tell that I'm dry. And when I do, I will take some time off. I'll take my next day off from work and instead of doing the things I normally do, catching up with friends and housework, I let it go. 
and choose instead to just spend time with the Lord. Um, that's what it looks like for me to stay filled with the Spirit at this stage of my life. Now, there are some things that are helpful to most believers who desire to be continually filled with the Spirit. Prayer, especially praying in tongues, worship, and encountering God through the, through the Word. But others are a unique part of each of our relationships with them. The Holy, Holy Spirit is so kind that He helps us discover ways to encounter Him that we enjoy. I love swimming. I love doing artwork and crafts. I love music. And so when I do those things, I choose to do them with Holy Spirit. Um, you can, I would really encourage you, like if you're not already doing that, just take things you enjoy and invite Holy Spirit to, part, to be part of that with you. Enjoy those times with him. He will meet you where you are, whatever it is you're doing. But those are good things that you can enjoy um, ways that you can actually enjoy something in your life and do it with him. If you like gardening, garden with him. If you like to take a walk every evening, invite him along. It's not that he's not there, he's always there, but there's something about choosing to consciously invite him and being aware of him with you that helps to just put us in the right place to receive. And we need for him to fill us regularly because we leak don't we? We leak when we minister to others. We leak when we get upset or frustrated or anxious. We leak both when our spirits are troubled and when our spirits are full. Either way, we stay full only if we take time to focus on God and enjoy presence of Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we receive revelation and power, both for ourselves and for others. We need the Holy Spirit's power to live the life of freedom that's God's desire for us. We can't do it on our own. We need his power to be true representatives of who God is because God is powerful. His power is unlike any other kind of power we see in this world because it's not something that he puts on due to any external thing like position or money. It flows from who he is, from love. When we baptizo ourselves in the presence of Holy Spirit, we are marinating ourselves in pure love. And love heals. It brings truth. It sets us free. That love changes us and empowers us to change the world around us. It does exactly what Jesus said it would do for the early, the early church that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and be able to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We've all read about what power looked like in the early church. Boldness to preach in the midst of persecution and even death, miraculous healings and resurrections, transportation of people from one place to another in a moment, multiplication of food. And those things continue to happen today. If it's okay with you, I'd like to share a, a few things that I've seen happen in my own life. Is that okay? You guys all right with that? Okay. So first I wanna say that I'm just an ordinary child of God, just like the majority of you. I don't have anything that isn't available to every believer. And apart from God, like I said before, I'm kind of shy and I'm not very bold or courageous. <laughs> in spite of that, I've been able to see God perform all kinds of miracles both around and through me. I think I've shared here before about the fact that I used to have, live in Lakota homes, and when I did, I had a lot of kids in the neighborhood who ate dinner at my house every night. Um, the neighborhood kids were always at my house playing with my own children, and, and I would take them to church on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. And when I realized they didn't have dinner waiting for them at home most evenings, I started feeding them. My family didn't have enough money, or we wouldn't have been living in Lakota homes, right? <laughs> because it's a low-income housing project. Um, but when I was a child, I read a book about George Mueller. And I read how he started all these orphanages and how God always provided food for the thousands of kids who were in his orphanages. And I thought, well, if God could do that for George Mueller and his thousands of orphans, surely he can do that for the kids who live in this neighborhood. And so he did. And sometimes he did it by giving us extra money or food. Other times he did something different. But one, a funny story about how he did it with extra food <laughs> is that one day there was this little boy who lived two doors down for us, and I'm, from us. I'm just going to call him Mark. Um, 
and he lived with his grandma, and he came down to my house one day, and I noticed he was black and blue. And I asked him what had happened, and his uncle, he told me, had gotten drunk and had come over and beaten him up. And so I said to him, I was like, did your grandma call? <laughs> he told me, yes, his grandma had called um, and had turned him in, but he was, had gotten back out after he had sobered up. And I said, well, you know, if he ever comes down again, I want you to run to my house and I will, we will lock the door and we will keep you safe. And so a couple weeks later, I had piles of kids in my front yard. And um, I, see, I happened to, went out to check on them and I noticed Mark running down the sidewalk towards me being chased by a man. So I told all the kids, get in the house right now. So they all went into the house and um, grabbed Mark when he came, put him in the house, we shut the door and locked it. And then all of a sudden, the uncle's banging on the door and he's threatening to kill him. And he's screaming and the kids are getting scared. So I called the police and turned it in and we're waiting for the police to come. And for whatever reason, they weren't very fast that day. And so um, the kids were getting really afraid. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit does not like when children are scared. He doesn't like it. And I could feel that he didn't like it. <laughs> and so I told the kids to go back into the bedroom and not even thinking about what I was going to do because this is what happens when Holy Spirit works. <laughs> I opened the door and I said to this man, I said, God loves you, but what you're doing is not okay. I want you to be quiet, sit down there on that sidewalk and wait till the police come. And he did. <laughs> he walked right over, he sat down on the sidewalk, he shut up. And he just sat there. And after a while, the kids went outside and started playing, everybody except for Mark, who was way too afraid to. And eventually, a police officer came in his cruiser, and he came to the door and he said, I thought, you know, I, I got a call that there was a disturbance here. What's going on? I don't see a disturbance. And I said, well, this gentleman over here on the sidewalk, he's drunk, and he was chasing his nephew, and he was threatening to kill him, and he's beaten him up before. And he just kind of looked at me like, you've got to be joking. And I said, he goes, why is he just sitting there? I said, because I told him to. <laughs> so he walked over and he had this look on his face like you can imagine, like, sure, yeah, right. So <laughs> he walked over to the guy and the, he said, is this true? And he said, yeah, I was going to mess him up. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, how about, and he put him in the cruiser because he was drunk and he told me he was going to take him to detox. And then he said to, I had at least, I don't know, 30, 40 kids in my yard. And so he said to one of the kids, what are all you kids doing over here? And one of the kids said, well, she feeds us dinner at night. And he goes, every night? <laughs> he said, yeah. So he came over to me and he said, so do you have a freezer? I said, yeah. And he said, well, is it full? <laughs> and I had to keep myself from laughing. But <laughs> I, just, I just said, well, I haven't made it to the store this week. <laughs> and so a couple of days later, he showed back up at my house with the entire backseat of the cruiser filled with food. And he had gone back to the police station and shared the story, and the officers had bought food so I could feed kids. Isn't that cool? Our God is that good. <laughs> Other times, I would just make food and I would make what I had. So I would make a pot of soup that would maybe feed my family, but it wouldn't run out until everybody had eaten. It never ran out. We always had enough food. All the years we were there until God... I've also gotten to see God heal in a variety of ways. This is a fun one. One time I had a counseling client who had been in... Um, on disability for 30 years because of her back. And she was during the Lakeland Revival and she had heard about the Lakeland Revival. And so in counseling one day she said, I just wanna get down to Florida. Because if I could go to the Lakeland Revival and have Todd Bentley pray for me, then I could be healed. And my back wouldn't hurt anymore and I could work. And I said, well, I can't get you to Lakeland, but you know, God can heal through anybody. I said, why don't we just pray together and ask him to heal you? I said, is that okay? I mean, what do you have to lose? <laughs> she 
She's like, okay. So I prayed for her and nothing happened immediately. But the next day I got a phone call and she said, I want you to know I woke up this morning and my back was totally healed. And I thought maybe I was just being emotional. And I've been wanting to move, change the, rearrange my living room for a really long time, so I moved all the furniture. And she said, my back is still fine. <laughs> So later, um, she had been dealing with depression and anxiety, and a few weeks later, that went away too. Amen. Yeah, isn't God good? <laughs> about six months later, so she, I quit seeing her, but then I got a phone call from her about six months later. She'd been in a car accident and had broken her back. And she said, can you just pray? <laughs> and God healed her back again. Wow. Because he's that good. Um, another time, there was a little boy in a church I was attending whose eyes were crossed at birth. He'd had two operations already, but each time they would do the operation, and then his eyes would go back to the way they were. Doctors wanted to do a third surgery, but the parents didn't want to put him through it again. So some of us got together to pray for him, and we watched as his eyes that were crossed went right back to where they belonged, and they never went, went crossed again. God's a lot better healer than doctors. I love when he works through doctors, but it's cool <laughs> when he just does it. Um, I also, I used to preach at Cornerstone Rescue Mission every Tuesday. And one day after I spoke, there was a young man who came up to me and he asked for prayer. Um, he wanted to receive Jesus as his savior, but he was also um, addicted to drugs and alcohol. And his wife was addicted to drugs and alcohol and their marriage had fallen apart. She'd left and he didn't know where she was. And so he asked, he prayed with me and he asked me to pray with him too, that they'd both get free, that his wife would get saved and that God would heal their marriage. So of course the next week I watched for him and he wasn't there and I kept watching for him and I didn't see him again. About three years later, I'd totally forgotten about him. <laughs> and I came in one morning and I was just talking to people in the lunchroom there and this guy comes up to me and he said, do you remember me? three years ago, <laughs> and it was the same guy. And he said, let me introduce you to my wife. Um, about six months after you prayed with, we prayed together, God brought us back together. I was able, got to tell her about Jesus. She got saved. God set us both free from drugs and alcohol. He healed her marriage. And now we have a relationship with him we never dreamed about and a relationship with each other that's better than we ever could have imagined. The way God answers prayer, the way he does miracles, the way he moves through Holy Spirit is absolutely amazing. Um, another time I had some people over at my house for a time of worship and at the end of the night, we were ministering to one of the women who come. When she was younger, she had been date raped and given birth to a little boy as a result. And some people in the church that she went to jumped to conclusions about her because she didn't tell them exactly what had happened. And they had been speaking over her that she was promiscuous, that um, she was a fallen woman, all kinds of things like that for a long time. And... Um, I found myself just sharing with her the truth of how God saw her and how much he loved her. And all of a sudden, one of the other people who was there said, Valerie, do your eyes hurt? And I said, what do you mean do my eyes hurt? And the girl looked at me and she goes, there's flames in your eyes. We can literally see fire in your eyes. And I believe God, the Holy Spirit did that so that she would know that what I was saying about how God felt about her and about who she really was was true, that she would know she was not, that he did not view her as some kind of a fallen woman or an evil person, but he had, he loved her. He was sad about what had happened to her and that he saw her as pure and as beautiful. Holy Spirit does that. He helps people see who they really are because he's, kind and loving. There have been several occasions where I've gotten to partner with Holy Spirit as he's healed someone of dissociative identity disorder. Has anybody ever heard of that? It used to be called multiple personality disorder if you've ever seen the movie Sybil or Three Faces of Eve. It's when somebody's horribly traumatized as a child and as a result of that their personality is split. And people who have DID 
um, can, they can't lead normal lives. And there is no known cure for it. Exactly. <laughs> There's no known cure in psychology for it. But Holy Spirit, I've gotten to sit there with him while he has put together several people who could never function before and made them whole. It's an amazing miracle. And I love the way Holy Spirit cares about and heals all parts of people from those things that are seen as purely physical to the emotional and the spiritual. He also has, I've also seen him act to preserve life. He used to be a foster parent. And um, one night, one of my former foster kids showed up at my house late. She looked like she'd been having a really hard time and she asked if she could crash on my couch. So I got her what she needed and I went back to bed and I'd just been in a car accident and so I was on some pain meds. But about three o'clock in the morning, I heard a voice say to me, Valerie, get up and go check on her. And at first it was so loud and so tangible that I thought a man was in my house and I realized it was Holy Spirit. So I went out there and there was a bottle of pills on the floor next to the couch. So I dragged her up and she'd taken the entire bottle and um, I, first I was just gonna call for an ambulance, but I felt like Holy Spirit said, no, you take her yourself. So I got my son up and we dragged her out to the car and called the ambulance to make sure they would, I mean, called the hospital so they'd have somebody waiting right at the ER. Got her there in time for them to pump her stomach. And they said that the fact that we got her there so fast was what had actually kept her alive and kept her from suffering kidney or liver damage. And if she had a really rough road afterwards, but she has a, she's, got, she's gotten the help she needed. And now she has a bunch of beautiful babies who wouldn't exist if it weren't for the goodness of God. Um, another time I was at a home group in Germany and the Holy Spirit told me to tell one of the men there that he loved him. And I thought, well, he's a Christian, surely he knows he loves you and that you love him, God. <laughs> but I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and tell him. So I told him and he just looked at me and didn't say anything. But two days later at church, um, they were asking for testimonies and he got up and shared how he had planned to blow his brains out that night. And that he had told God that if God did not let him know that he was loved, he was gonna kill himself. Now, you know, it's interesting because we don't take well to threats and kind of that's a threat, isn't it? <laughs> it was like him threatening to kill himself if God didn't do something. But God looked at the desperation of his heart and, and Holy Spirit worked to make sure he knew what he needed to know to save his life. Can you see why Jesus said that it's good for the disciples that he went away so he could send them Holy Spirit? As a man living in a human body, Jesus needed to eat and sleep. <laughs> He needed time away from the disciples to be alone with his father. He impacted the disciples by interacting with them externally when they were together. When Jesus went away physically, the Holy Spirit came and he's able to interact with us internally all of the time. He doesn't have the needs of a physical body like Jesus did. He can be present with us 24-7. And his presence for, with us is part of what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And we need more than just a factual presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to be completely marinated in his presence on a regular basis so he can heal us, he can transform us into the vessels that are able to carry his power and his purity into the world. We can't do it on our own. You know, it's really not hard to tell whether something, whether we've been marinating sufficiently in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're like a piece of fruit. If you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out. If I squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. Whenever, whatever we're filled with becomes evident the moment we get squeezed. And we get squeezed pretty regularly, don't we? We get squeezed by people, by circumstances, by health issues, by finances, just by life in general. We get squeezed when we're running late and we have a flat tire or when an unexpected expense comes up. We get squeezed when someone takes their bad mood out on us or we're tired and the baby won't sleep. <laughs> 
We get squeezed when we want to watch something on TV and our spouse hogs the remote sometimes. <laughs> or when our boss asks us to do just one more thing at the end of a very busy day. <laughs> if we pay attention to how we feel when we're being squeezed, it tells us a lot. I've noticed that when I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to keep me filled up, I'm easily able to respond to those things in love. I might not like what's going on, I might even choose to set some boundaries with somebody, but I'm also able to easily respond in faith and in love. Anytime I'm struggling to do that, I know I need to make some extra time to just soak in the Holy Spirit's presence. And that happened to me a few weeks ago. I was super busy, I wasn't feeling well, being sick was keeping me from getting enough sleep, and I had a couple of different emergency situations that came up at the same time, and frankly, I started feeling cranky and getting really easily annoyed. <laughs> and so Monday's usually my day off, and instead of doing housework, I was like, okay, I need more of you, God, because <laughs> I feel cranky. Cranky's not normal. It's not. Um, and so that's what I did. I took the day, and by mid-morning, I... Um, felt more like myself by lunch. I just felt like I wanted to keep on worshiping. And by evening, I didn't have to exercise any faith at all to know that God was gonna work together for good in the situations that were in my life. That's what's normal when we're filled with the Spirit. Anything less is just not. Um, less may be natural for the carnal man, but that's not who we are. I used to think that I didn't, have any I didn't have time for that kind of extended time away from God, but I've since come to realize I don't have time to neglect it. Um, and it's amazing how the Holy Spirit uses it to fill whatever needs that I have and somehow also manages to make the rest of my week run so much more smoothly <laughs> that it makes up for the time that I spent, always. And those times that I get to just spend enjoying the presence of Holy Spirit are my favorite times in my life, honestly. Um, I still think it would be kind of fun to be able to walk alongside Jesus like the disciples did, but now I understand why Jesus said that he had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. As always, he was looking out for us. And he was choosing the thing that was in our best interest, like he always does. So before we close this part of our service, I just wanna take a moment to pray with all of you. If you're finding that, you know, you're listening to what I say and you're like, yeah, I feel, I'm easily annoyed. <laughs> uh, it's not so easy for me to feel faith. I don't see things happening in my life. I'm not hearing Holy Spirit talk to me on a regular basis. Just. As we pray, just reach out to him and ask him for more because he will give it to you. He gives good gifts to his children. So God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are a good God, that you love us, that you have good plans for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for sending Holy Spirit to us. Holy Spirit, we just ask for more. We ask for more of your presence, more of the fruit that comes from time with you. And we just thank you for all you do, for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, for your truth, for your purity, for your power. Thank you, God.